0: The Lord be with you on this first Sunday of Advent, and let us open with prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for bringing us to yet another Advent season. Seems like we just had Christmas. What did we do in the meantime, Lord, all those months in between? Well, we heard your word repeatedly, and here we are again to start another church year to hear of the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ. So be with us this day. Be with those who could not make it today, or are still traveling, and uh, increase our faith, and strengthen our hearts, to once again adore your Son at the at the uh, revelation of his birth in Bethlehem. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. When parents find out they're expecting a child, many more hopes and expectations come along with that discovery. Parents begin dreaming about what the child will be like. They wonder what he or she will accomplish. They hope for the best. Every parent wants to be able to point out their child at any stage in their life and proudly introduce them by saying, this is my son, this is my daughter. But every parent has to face inevitable disappointments as well. Our children will not, will not live up to every expectation we have of them, in case you didn't know that already. The dad who places a tiny basketball in his son's crib may end up with a son who is not interested in basketball, or same could go with a, for a daughter. The mom who prays nightly for her teenage daughter or son tries to raise them and oh, tries to raise them right and do everything right may get an upsetting phone call in the middle of the night that their child has gotten into some trouble. Life with children does not always go as we plan or hope. This Advent, we're going to look at three father-son relationships, at least the first three Sundays of Advent, starting with this one. We're going to look at three father-son relationships found in the Old Testament. On the fourth Sunday of Advent, we're going to look at a New Testament relationship between a father and son, but for the first three Sundays, Old Testament relationships between father and son. And these stories will explore the hopes and expectations that these fathers had for their sons. But we will especially look at the disappointment that each father faces as his son fails to meet the expectations. Ultimately, each message will end by looking at the perfect father and son relationship, the one shared by our Heavenly Father and His only begotten Son, upon whom God smiled and said, This is my Son, whom I love, and whom I am well pleased. So today we, be, we begin by looking at perhaps the most disappointing son in the history of mankind, the son of Adam, Cain. And if you want to know how his name was originally pronounced, In the Hebrew, or even the ancient Semitic language, it would have been something like kayan. Kayan. In the English, it's the A and the I are both kind of blended together to be A sound, but actually those vowels are separate, so it's kayan. Adam and Eve had high hopes for kayan. This was evident not only by his name, but also that Eve, his mother, what she says about him. In the translation we use, Eve says, which is kind of funny, I have gotten a man. (laughs) Which is, that always makes me laugh because it sounds like some old movie, you know, where uh, some woman who's been wanting a lover, you know, I finally, I've gotten a man, right? And you think, well, Eve, you already have a husband. What is this about? But some scholars, including Martin Luther, have understood Eve to say something more like this. I have gotten the man of the Lord. Which is still kind of funny because she's just conceived a son. And she's already saying, I've gotten the man of the Lord. It is kind of bizarre. Well, what this could very well mean is that Eve thought that Cain was the promised seed spoken earlier in Genesis, who would crush the serpent's head and bring salvation from Adam and Eve's sin. The name Cain comes from the Hebrew word meaning to possess or to acquire. So it's, it's Eve's acquiring, right? She's gotten the man whom she's going to put her hopes in that he's going to undo the sin that she did with her husband Adam. And Martin Luther puts himself, well he tries anyways to To put himself in Eve's brain and imagine what she was thinking at this moment. And he comes up with something like this. Eve is thinking, I remember what my husband and I lost through our disobedience to God. But now let our hope and speech be of nothing nothing else except winning all that back and keeping possession of it through this man that we got. or He will be a man that we got from God, for I have gotten this man of God who will obtain that lost glory for us again. Now, those are some high expectations, aren't they? Contrast this to his brother, Abel, and his name was pronounced Avel, or Avel, who gets no such welcome from his mother and whose name means vanity and implies something that is worthless or cast aside. What a strange family this was, wasn't it? This Adam and Eve and their first two kids. It's, we don't get a lot of backstory, but if you were to get uh, one of these who's who in the Bible books, which you really ought to get one of these, because every name that's mentioned in the Bible, you can look it up, right? Even if it's just mentioned once and there's nothing about the person, it'll be in here and that'll be re- what this author will write about him. So if you get one of these books, this is what it says about Cain, first son of Adam and Eve, who became a tiller of the soil with his brother Abel, who was a keeper of sheep. Cain's murder of Abel became proverbial of similarly violent and destructive sins, and that's from Jude 1:11. Each of the two brothers had brought a sacrifice to the Lord. According to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4, Abel had acted in faith by bringing a more acceptable sacrifice than that of Cain. The latter's anger had flared against the divine rejection. In retaliation, he killed his brother, whose offering had been accepted by God. In seeking a reason for Cain's inappropriate violent reaction, biblical commentary simply says that he belonged to the evil one, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? It's like Cain was rotten from the start. The Lord confronted Cain with his guilt, judged him and pronounced a curse upon him, driving him out to the land of Nod, east of Eden. Which was a movie, by the way, with uh, James Dean, but it has nothing to do with Adam and Eve, right? When he complained that his punishment was greater than he could bear and that someone would find him and kill him, the Lord placed a mark on Cain and promised to take sevenfold vengeance on anyone who dared to kill him. So that's another interesting thing about Cain. You would think that God would be like, yeah, you you killed your brother, zap, gone. You know, vaporized, right? But no, God is going to continue to sustain Cain into his old age, but he will be banished. But if anyone tries to hurt him, they're going to receive the punishment. In the land of Nod, Cain built a city and named it after his son Enoch. Through Enoch, Cain became the progenitor of a large family that during its early generations became tent-dwelling tent dwelling herdsmen, musicians and fashioners of metal objects and implements. And that's the last we hear of Cain. The names of these two brothers reveal the hopes and ex- expectations of their parents. But Adam and Eve were only setting themselves up for more disappointment because, well, as, you, as we've heard, Cain was no savior. Perhaps it was the lofty expectations placed on him that gave Cain his selfish pride. Or maybe that he just really was rotten from the start. That is revealed in the story. More than likely, however, his selfish pride was simply a result of the sin that, he had, that was passed down to him from his parents. Whatever the reason, it's made pretty clear in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abel was the one that possessed the true faith in God and received God's favor while Cain's offerings were rejected because his heart was just not into it. He was just not into God. Just didn't love him, didn't care. You even get a sense of his indignation when God asks him, where is your brother? And he's like, how am I supposed to know? I'm not his keeper. You know, what a real flippant answer to God, huh? Envy and anger filled Cain's heart and mind. We do know this. And it was ready to devour him like an animal, crouching and waiting to attack its unsuspecting victim. Cain is warned by God to resist sin and to repent, which is also interesting because, well, we know that that doesn't happen, right? But it's almost as if God was, and and God knew that, but it's almost as if God gave him like a chance, right? Resist sin. But he doesn't. Cain gives in and pounces on his unsuspecting brother, taking his life and becoming the first murderer. Can you imagine, as I was asking the kids, which it, it may be hard for them to imagine, but can you imagine the pain and disappointment of Adam and Eve when they find out what Cain has done? The son they thought would save their lives instead became a taker of life. They had come to to grips that the curse of their original sin had been passed down to their own kids. And it continued to be passed down to their grandchildren and to their great-grandchildren through every generation up to and including our own. And it's going to be passed to the next one. By the one man's disobedience, by by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners that's what we heard in our chapter from the romans we're all sons of adam and we have inherited the same inclination to sin that lurked in the heart of cain i have a saying it's one that i made up actually at least i think i can say that guns and dormitories don't mix have you ever lived in a dormitory? You know, either in college or in the military? Well, I lived in one. My early days in the service, I was, had to live in a dormitory. And as you can imagine, dormitories, they're kind of like they're party houses. They can be. And it would appear that I seem to be the only one that actually took my sleep seriously because, you know, I had to be to work the next morning at 7 a.m. and work with explosives and all that. Yeah, I wanted to get a decent night's sleep. But after three nights in a row of not being able to sleep because of you know, stereo blasting next door and a party going on up above me, you know, it really got to me one time. And I'm telling you, if I had had a gun, I would have gone next door, blasted the door open, and gone in there to the guy's room next door to me and put a few rounds through his stereo equipment. And I don't know what I would have done to him. I hate to think of what I would have done. I was that angry. And I would have just gone to bed and worried about the police the next morning. Anger, right? Especially when you haven't had sleep in three nights. So if you're sitting here saying, well, pastor, that's bad. you know I've never wanted to hurt a fly. Well, blessed are you, my friend. <laughs> and then there's the rest of us. I mean, I, I, I think it's safe to say most of us, if not all of us, have, have been there even if he didn't live in a dormitory. And as Jesus makes clear in Matthew 5, we are all as guilty of murder as Cain. Everyone who becomes angry with his or her brother is liable to the judgment of murder. Anyone who insults his brother or says to anyone, you fool, will face the same condemnation that Cain did. Exile from God. When it comes to keeping God's Ten Commandments, we have all been huge disappointments. Our offerings to God have not always been made with hearts full of faith and joy, but out of a grudging compulsion. We have have harbored anger and envy in our hearts towards others. We have have imagined that we are not our brother's keeper, not responsible for the well-being of others, more concerned with ourselves, As children of God, we have fallen well short of expectations. This is why the writer of Psalm 146, we didn't hear that one today, but you can read it yourself. This is why the writer of Psalm 146 instructs us, Put not your trust in princes nor the Son of Man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. We don't want to do that. We don't want to be that way. Adam and Eve were wrong about Cain being the promised seed, but God's plan, thankfully for you and me, was still intact. The Savior would indeed be a son of Adam, true man, but would also be the son of God, true God himself. Into our world of hatred and murder was born our God of love and life. From the moment Jesus was a small child, the spiritual heirs of Cain sought to take his life, because he lived his life as a perfect offering to God. Others grew envious and angry toward him. Eventually, they succeeded in spilling his blood. There's two uh, Lenten hymns in our hymn book that bring the story of Cain and the story of Jesus together, and one of them is, "My song is love Unknown." And there's a line in there that goes, a murderer they save, who was Barabbas, remember, and the prince of life they slay, was Jesus. For Cain and for all murderers since him, including you and me, the Lord and giver of life is murdered so that we might be given life. And there's another hymn, Glory Be to Jesus, that there's a line in there that's, Abel's blood for vengeance pleaded to the skies, but the blood of Jesus for our pardon cries. That's good news. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, God tells Cain. The blood of Abel cried out for justice for himself, but Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that Jesus' blood cries out not for himself, but on behalf of the whole world. That's you and me, all believers all those who would come to faith. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, a new agreement, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus became our murdered brother so that he might keep us from everlasting death. And when I say might, I don't mean like, oh, maybe it'll happen. In biblical terms, might is a future thing that will happen. Jesus is the true son of Adam whose shed blood and broken body are the perfect sacrifice offered by God the Father to wash clean and forgive our blot out the sin of our murderous hearts and make us sons and daughters of God. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man Adam much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness and which will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, for us. Because of Jesus, your Heavenly Father is not disappointed in you. Instead, through your baptism, He looks down upon you with approval and love and says proudly, This is my daughter. This is my son, with whom I am pleased. In Jesus' name, amen.